I think Richard is drunk texting me. He just keeps sending uh, screenshots from Amazon.com of dirty werewolf slash fiction. No, that sounds sober. Like sober Richard. (laughs) That still checks out? Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast from San Diego, California. You are the co-host, Keith Foster. That's right. You are Cassidy Robinson. Um, And we're recording on Earth Day. Did you know that? I did know that. Uh, Today is the day of Earth, and because of that, we're going to be talking about Ferngully and uh, Avatar. That's what I just now decided. It's actually not a... That's actually not a bad double feature, but you're also <laughs> lying. Right, I am. Uh, no, actually, I think we announced this on the last episode. Uh, you kind of came up with a fun idea for a uh, sort of apocalypse-themed um, double feature. or uh, a- Apocalypse-themed, specifically, like, sense-related. <laughs> with the deprivation of one of our five senses. Um, so we're going to be doing... The apocalypse we're going to be doing a uh, compare and contrast of the films A Quiet Place and Bird Box. This was the first time I've seen Bird Box, and uh, I took a look at A Quiet Place again for the discussion. Yeah, I wanted to assign Bird Box to you when it came out, um, because it was like, it was such a thing. Right. Um, there was like the Bird Box, or yeah, the Bird Box challenge and stuff that people were doing on social media. And I saw it myself a little late, and then, like, we just kind of had enough content planned that I wasn't able to get to it till like, a few months after it was very irrelevant then. Right. Um, and so I've wanted to talk about this on the show for, like, two years or something. So I'm glad we're going to finally get into the bird box. <laughs> yes. But there is some other stuff at the top of the show I wanted to to discuss or cover before we get into that. And I uh, first I wanted to sort of get into a consumo bay through the back door, if you will. I, I put up a survey with our listeners um, a little while ago to see what media discoveries they have found since starting their quarantines. And uh, we got a couple answers here. And first I'll go off uh, Twitter. A friend of the show, Patrick, says he has discovered Roll20 RPG software. And I've heard about this. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Do you? Yeah. So basically what it is, is it's like an online platform. So you can play uh, Dungeons and Dragons remotely. Oh. And it has like a lot of software and like. A lot of dungeon grids you can set up and, and and just stuff to make it seem to to make it it's it's sort of a video game, but it still has that like player element that Dungeons and Dragons has. Like you're not fiddling with a controller or anything. Um like you still, you know, are coming up with your character stats and all that. But basically it's yeah, uh, there's a, there's a few of these available, but I've heard that Roll Twenty is one of the better ones. It's it's basically just an online uh, host 
for your D&D campaign. Okay, that's cool. And I would imagine you can also listen and talk on it too, like you would a Skype call. Exactly. Or a Zoom yeah, call, uh, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that's uh, super popular right now. Um, yeah, that I, I I think that's essentially what it is. Is like you get your whole party in whether you're streaming through or communicating through another platform and just using this to facilitate the game or not. I don't know, um, but. It's a pretty cool little way to connect with people from uh, far away and and uh, play some D and D campaigns. I actually have like considered uh, trying to get some of my old D and D groups to to get into this. Hmm. Well, I mean, there is a three hour difference, but maybe you and Patrick can get on a game together. Hey, I'd love to guest sometime. Maybe just pop in as like a weird gnome cameo or something. <laughs> <laughs> just some thing they have to battle to get to their next quest. No, I'm more like I'm a traveling bard and I just happen to be in the city that our adventurers are in. And then through circumstance, they have to like write my character out by the end of the episode, like a sitcom. Okay. Uh, the other thing he mentioned here is Sunderland till I die on Netflix. I don't know if that's a show or a movie. Do you know anything about that? I have never heard of this. Neither I am I. completely unfamiliar. Uh, Andy Tolsky says, Doom! And I said, the video game? And he said, not the movies. I uh, said, yeah, he got the 16 game for Switch and has been loving it. So, Ooh, nice. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't I didn't even know that was on the Switch. I'm, I'm Googling that right now. That sounds fucking sweet. <laughs> I'm Does guessing 2016 all- is what he means by that. Uh, Doom Eternal, I think? No, Doom Eternal comes out in March of this year. Oh, I don't, yeah, I don't know what this is. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into Doom some more on the Switch. I think that'd be pretty sweet. Um, and we have another person here who just goes by the, uh, handle dot ee. Says he finally started Ozark, and it's great. Um, I watched the most of the first season back when it first started and really enjoyed it. And then I, I, I did what I do with all TV shows and then don't finish it and forget. Um, <sighs> You're the most frustrating critic of all time. <laughs> There's so much good TV out there. there and, and right now you literally have nothing better to do. I know. Um, but yeah, did you ever watch any Ozark? Uh, no, I saw a new season just came out though. And I think I might, uh, dip into that once I'm done with my current binge watch. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that a good segue to talk about what I'm, I've been watching? Uh, not quite. Cause we have one more on okay. Facebook. Um, but yes, uh, when Ozark first started, kind of got a lot of flack for being a breaking bad ripoff. And it kind of is to a certain extent, like definitely playing on a lot of the same ideas, a uh, normal guy gets into crime and then it keeps escalating because he has to keep trying to cover it up. But um, within that, it's uh, really well shot. It's really well acted. has an interesting cast. So, yeah. And I hear it's just getting better every season. So, um, on I mean, I those type of shows usually do, like, as you get more invested in the characters and... and yeah. And they can start ramping up the intensity. Barry um, is kind of in that post-Breaking Bad world as well. Totally. Yeah. But uh, just, be, you know, just because it's a show about 
normal life intersecting with crime life. Like, you know, Breaking Bad wasn't the first show to do that. Um, no, no, certainly. But maybe maybe the first to use that conceit in an episodic kind of way. Like you're you build whole seasons around, you know, having to kill a certain yeah. bad guy or whatever it is. Yeah, um, I mean, in the in whatever else, they certainly perfected it. Yes, yes. All right, and then lastly on the Facebook, we have a comment from Ken Wilson who says that he discovered the black hole isn't nearly as good as he remembers it in 1979. <laughs> um, I believe this is on Disney Plus right now. Uh, Disney either I don't know if they originally put it out, if they just acquired it recently uh, since since it's been out on DVD. Um, but in case people don't know, Black Hole is an old kind of B-movie science fiction uh, post-Star Wars kind of thing that uh, stars Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, and it's uh, it's one of the live-action Disney movies from mm-hmm. that era that, like, uh, I think a lot of the live-action Disney stuff kind of gets buried because, you know, their bread and butter was um, animation. animation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they have a long history career with uh, live action as well mm-hmm. just uh, ask kurt us, russell yeah that's what i was gonna say they <laughs> gave us kurt russell and um uh yeah and you know they're sort of doing it all over again with uh marvel and stuff but on a much bigger scale obviously yeah, i don't know if that counts uh, i think it's more just diversifying but i get what you mean um sure all right cool so you know, going from there into what we would traditionally call Consumo Bay, what uh, current media are you obsessed with? I am finally watching Twin Peaks The Return. Um, it, I believe it came out in 2017 or 2018, um, but it was on Showtime, so I didn't really, I didn't really want to pay for Showtime, and so I didn't have access to it. And then I, like, got a free trial on Hulu, and so I'm finally, finally watching it, and And you had I, seen the the original Twin Peaks from the early 90s. Yes, I've only watched the series, I haven't watched Firewalk with me, um, but I, I read a little bit on, like, Reddit threads and stuff that you don't really need to. Well, Firewalk um, with me is a prequel of the yes. series. Loosely, kind of. And I heard it has kind of a much different tone than the series and stuff. Well, it's, it's a full-blown movie, so it's it's made to look and feel like a movie, and it's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and like, Twin Peaks was sort of a commentary... I don't even know if commentary is the right word, but it's, it's sort of a soap opera, whereas Firewalk With Me was more of a from again what i've heard is more of a full full blown like drama um and so twin peaks can be really tongue in cheek it can be um it can be really funny at times mm-hmm. and, but but a lot a lot of times it almost comes across as parody and i don't know if firewalk with me does so if any huge uh peakers are out there <laughs> um feel free to correct me Anyway, so I didn't have access to the movie, didn't care. I finally wanted to watch it, and I was like, quarantine is a good enough reason. Uh, and I'm going insane. <laughs> I 
need to talk to somebody about this, but I don't know anybody who's actually watched it. Hmm. Uh, in it, and I, I recommended you watch it. Um, it, it, and you really don't have to have a lot of reference from the earlier series. Um, you know, you need to know, know some characters and stuff, but like it just, Catching up on the last couple episodes of the the original TV shows probably good enough, um, but man, it I can't decide if it's the worst thing I've ever seen or if it's brilliant. Like it keeps teetering back and forth. It is a rough start. The first couple episodes, I was like, I don't know if I can get through this, and now I'm like obsessed with it. There okay. are some things that are some of the most brilliant. TV moments I've ever seen, hands down. But then there's also these long ambient shots of literally characters just staring at each other for five minutes. Sounds about right. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, And there is a certain charm to like, it goes back to sort of a low budget, but done digitally. So there's sort of a weird... There's just sort of a weird look to the show. Kind of a video-ish um, look. Uh, yeah, it like at times it almost feels like it has like the production design of a porno. Uh <laughs> but then uh, but then again other times it's like really ambitious and crazy. So it's it is a trip. I I think it's one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had watching a David Lynch thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I was definitely curious to watch it. Uh, again, me being bad at television, I, I'd seen the original Twin Peaks. I have not watched Firewalk with me. I think that was my hang-up. Is it'd been so long since I'd seen the original Twin yeah, Peaks, and I hadn't seen was, Firewalk with me, so I wanted to kind of do it all over. Um, that was sort of my hang-up too. But I'm telling you, don't don't bother. It it's really fine. It's so well, it's well done in a callback to an old show because it doesn't rely too heavily on nostalgia from the past. Like it's, it's a totally different show. Well, I would imagine they would have to like figure out a way to create a jumping in point because the show is like, what, 30 (sighs) years old now? Like you, you would think that you would think that you would think that (laughs) it's insane. I'm just like continually entertained and baffled and perplexed by it. It is it is one of the most challenging shows I've ever watched. I'll put it that way. Okay. Um I would expect no less. Uh yeah. my my consumer bay, uh I got a couple things here. So, I recently bought on Blu-ray and rewatched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And this is the first time I'd seen it again since we discussed it on the show um, back in the uh, middle of the summer. And that movie's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, what I suspected at the time, and, I, and it ended up being true, is that you notice so much more upon repeat viewings. And, uh, you know, what they're hinting at all along and sort of where the story is headed and and the reasons why scenes that seemed out of place the first time you see it definitely don't seem out of place the second time. And uh, the subtext is just like 
bubbling through a lot more. Uh, even certain little like character things that I didn't notice, like the fact that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio speaks with a stutter when he's when he's talking to like studio heads and things like that, or when it, whenever he's sober. Um, hmm. And then uh, when either when he's drunk or talking to Cliff, he doesn't have the stutter anymore. So it's a it's a really fascinating movie, and I think it's uh, was really enjoying uh, a rewatch of that and uh, kind of uh, sharpening my theories and all that. The other thing is uh, there's a new album that dropped uh, by a band called Drain. They're from the uh, Bay Area, California. Uh, sort of a hardcore punk band uh, meets sort of uh, crossover thrash. If you're into stuff like suicidal tendencies or municipal waste or like that kind of stuff, they'll sort of like flat-brimmed, upturned cap over top bandana sort of look. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, like basically fast hardcore songs that also have shredding guitar solos, then, then this is for you. It is distinctly a California sounding record. Like it a makes me sort of miss being there and B just like really reminded me of like sort of the surf skate culture that sort of, uh, uh, emanates. Nice. And just while I'm looking that up, the name of the album is California cursed by the band drain just came out about a month ago. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the meat of the episode. Uh, you wanted to discuss or do a compare and contrast of the films Bird Box and A Quiet Place. They were both released the same year, I believe, right? Mm. Does that sound right? Yeah, they. I think they're both uh, 2018. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long. And yeah, A Quiet Place came out in the like early 2018. I think it was like one of the first big movies of that year. Um, and yeah. then Bird Box came out a little closer to like a summer release. Yes. And A Quiet Place had a traditional theatrical release and Bird Box was uh, direct to Netflix. And the thing about these movies that, uh, that why they drew so much comparison at the time is, uh, and we mentioned this a little bit earlier, they both have a specific, uh, like sense related monster, or uh, uh, circumstance behind their apocalypse. So in A Quiet Place, there are these monsters that are uh, overly have overly sensitive ears. They, they don't have any other senses except their ears. Um, so you have to be very quiet. You can't make any noise. And in Bird Box, the monsters are uh, these demons things and we'll get into this a little bit more um but there are these <laughs> these creatures that when you see them the sight of them it, it either becomes your greatest fear or your greatest dread or something like that um and the sight of them causes you to have to immediately kill yourself um yeah. so so to survive in a quiet place, they have to make these adaptations to like sort of the normal apocalypse thriller, but with the added caveat that we have to be extra quiet. So there's sand everywhere. Everybody speaks with sign language. Um, they do everything to sort of muffle their sound. And in a bird box, uh, they have to restrict this, their sight because if, if even one glimpse of these monsters is instant death. So they have to like 
paste up the their cards like with newspaper they yeah, have to always cover wear all their windows and yeah 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 um and just so everybody knows while we're these movies are almost two years old most people have seen them and uh to really get into this we're going to have to be discussing this with the assumption that the people listening have seen these movies so there will be spoilers so if you have not seen these movies turn off the podcast now watch them or watch whichever one you haven't seen yet, and then come back and listen. Unless you don't care, and then you and you just want to hear us <laughs> talk about it, then by all means. That's right. And A Quiet Place is currently available streaming on Hulu, and Bird Box is currently available streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So Competing uh, if, if, streaming networks, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. So let's get into it. Um Okay. Yeah, I I don't know exactly how you want to go about this. This is different than anything we've uh, really done before. When Quiet Place came out, you know, it came out to to a decent amount of to a decent amount of uh, critical acclaim. It it, mm-hmm. it did better than everyone thought it would for you know a horror film in the early part of the year. I think it's the first thing John Krasinski's ever directed, um, who also stars yeah, and, in the and, film. And I think that that. It helped I, I launch think that it, that's certainly yes, exactly. Like uh, you know, this is sort of Jim's big move post office. Um, uh, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski also have sort of the added uh, Hollywood power couple, couple thing. Yeah, s- yeah, star power going on. So that I think was a factor. But um, you know, this is uh, a quiet place. Is just sort of a, a you know fairly high concept monster thriller thing um, yeah. that if it didn't have John Krasinski attached and Emily Blunt, I, I doubt anybody would have really cared. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, horror movies in general have the, the sort of genre sure. boost, yeah. you know, it's because for the most part, people are going to see a horror film for the concepts, not necessarily the star power or, or the Hollywood stuff. Um, Fair enough. And so, you know, well, the, the reason I bring that up, though, is and I it's not like Bird Box didn't have star power because, I mean, it has a pretty large cast, no. uh, mostly and, and kind it, of character actors. But I mean, at the lead, you have uh, Sandra Bullock and, you know, well, that I think that's that was one of the big selling points was we haven't seen or heard from Sandra Bullock in a few years now. And then she comes out in this uh, also, you know, post-apocalyptic a monster thriller uh, that's pretty against type for her. Sure. I I mean, uh, the last really big thing we've seen her in was Gravity, which is not a monster film, but it is a genre film of type. And uh, and I think both movies are less about being Sandra Bullock vehicles and more about uh, the concept. And she just happens to be bringing what she can do as an actress to that. Yes, and and but I that and I think that's kind of my point is this is different than sort of a, a this isn't early practical 2000s. magic, <laughs> yeah, or yeah. even uh, the heat or Blindside or or uh, God, she's been in so many bad uh, like romantic comedies that I don't even want to mention them all. Um, <laughs> I guess she did. Uh, uh, Ocean's Eight, but nobody really cared. Oh but yeah, anyway, so this was, that didn't work out for her. Um, this is yeah. kind of a uh, comeback for her. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to quantify 
the the sort of the boost anybody any actor any director any anything gets from a successful streaming project um yeah but but also i think also i think you have to think about the time like this was a huge step for netflix um because they hadn't really put out anything big budget to kind of try to feel like it was competing with the summer blockbuster attention and this they definitely were going for it yeah i mean when you look at the cast you look at the you look at the movie it's a whole sort of the the concept behind it i do think that the you can sort of feel the netflixiness of it still even though it's it's, it might be a little bit more ambitious and there's certainly more sets and things like that um I, I think that there is a, a distinct cinematic difference between uh, Bird Box and A Quiet Place. And well, we can so talk that's... about we can we can talk about, um, you know, just on a, on a movie level. I, you know, having just watched Bird Box for the first time and there's a lot mm. I enjoyed about it. Um, and there's some stuff I didn't enjoy about it. But uh, <laughs> and then going yeah. going back and watching uh, A Quiet Place again, having bird box fresh in my memory it's very telling that one of them deals with a film where you don't talk and then the other one is a film where you don't see because i think uh a quiet place is distinctly more filmic it just feels more like a movie when you're watching it whereas whereas bird box feels a lot like and in it sometimes a good way this is sort of one of my favorite like sub genres of of science fiction films where it feels like a Twilight Zone episode writ large? Kind of, yeah. So I think, to sort of speak to that, I think one of the things, one of the strengths of A Quiet Place um, versus Bird Box, right? Mm -hmm. Bird Box um, is really high concept. There's a lot going on, and it's sort of... uh, it's sort of more of a direct parallel to like uh, the uh, George A. Romero descendant. Absolutely, um, it f- it feels a lot more like a zombie movie, whereas A Quiet Place is uh, is ruthlessly efficient. Yeah, um, it, it's I mean it's really it's one set essentially. It's there's only a couple of action moments in it. They just are huge. They're they're big moments. Yeah. Whereas a bird box is sort of these is a little more serialized. It almost feels a little more episodic. Like it feels like we could have got a season of bird box. Um it does and I think it's almost sort of built that way because there's there's this kind of back and forth uh timeline structure going through the totally. going through the film where we start at the point where the the epidemic or whatever you want to call it um, starts. And then we're going, you know, back and forth with her trying to save her kids on this river raft. Uh, and yeah. And, and wondering well, how and we get to that, that point. Exactly. And because of that, I think a quiet place uh, because it's, it's so much more simplified. It's so much more stripped down to just story mm-hmm. that it can, it, uh, or, or just, not just story, but just what the fundamentals of the story are. Uh, it can really hone in on what these action pieces are going to be like and make yeah. them much more specific. Whereas yeah. Bird Box has has some specific moments, like the river scene. Um, but it sort of feels like 
the whole movie is centered more around this river scene and and that idea of like, well, how did we get here versus very specific action moments? Well, well, simply put, um, and you know, if some, I think this is might almost be like the perfect example, given that these stories are so similar in a lot of ways and they both are, you know, dealing in, in sort of sci-fi horror territory. A Quiet Place is more story-driven and Bird Box is more plot-driven. And that yeah. is that is the difference between the two. One, I've always said, uh, you know, the difference between story and plot is uh, with, with uh, plot is how a character gets from A to B and story is why a character gets to A to B. Yeah. 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 I think that's a, a really good, a really good distillation of it. And, and I, and I also, you know, I also do think that bird box is juggling a much higher concept. It is. Yes. It is li- literally these, these, uh, this biblical, uh, uh, and, and it does, it does some of my favorite, like, bad horror movie exposition with um uh what's his name rel um uh, the, lil, lil rel yeah they got from uh, uh, get out yeah he just uh, happens to be writing a horror novel about the exact thing they're going through <laughs> exactly. and so he can and rattle he, off exposition whenever they need it <laughs> it's beautiful i love it and then the moment the care all the characters know what's going on he is fucking dead it's beautiful just mwah. And and I will say, as far as the script goes, this movie does uh, a bird box falls into uh, that that sort of tropey area. I think a lot more than a quiet place does. It leans on the trope. Um, I mean, you you mentioned uh, George A. Romero, so the, yes, you can definitely feel a lot of Night of the Living Dead, a lot of Day of the Dead in here. You can also feel a movie as recent as The Mist. I was thinking a lot about. During yeah, this, because I mean, yeah. the whole idea is you know people kind of stuck, strangers stuck in close quarters, and you know who is really the monster? Is it you know the thing that's out there? Or is it humanity? The answer is always totally. humanity. In case you were wondering, <laughs> well, the answer is always both. There are actual <laughs> monsters, and humans are the monsters. <laughs> we're just uh, the worst. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not like there aren't zombies in Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> but there's also the fucking biker gang. Um, right. Yeah, and in this case, uh, I, I loved the fucking weird bird box cultists that for some reason are sort of immune. Like, they don't have to kill themselves, but instead they're driven to force other people to do that. I That was like... One of the moments of Bird Box, I was like, okay, this is fucking weird, but cool. (laughs) Well, some of the rules as far as, and we should, we should mention Bird Box was based on a novel that was actually released before A Quiet Place was, was, uh, adapted or, uh, was written yeah. or acquired also, or whatever. And there is actually some also, amount of uh, controversy out there in the horror world about was A Quiet Place like a ripoff of Bird Box that came out before the Bird Box movie? Well, and, uh, okay, so... Uh, Which I'm not necessarily there. interested in that, like, beef, but, you know, those kind of things happen. That's how you end up with two asteroid movies in a year. Yeah, and, and that was a big part of why I wanted to discuss both movies in one episode. But um, yeah, but to me, it's kind of funny because structurally speaking, aside from the fact that it's like a monster that affects a a sense, 
there's not a lot of similarities, structurally speaking, between the movies. Um, Structurally, uh, no. Although I do think there are, there there is, I think there is some similarities. Um, I I mean, both movies have a pregnancy sequence and a birth, a birth sequence that are pretty central to the story. I think both movies, there is, you know, children that need to be protected. Um, and but, sort of but, a mother But figure. here's the thing, you could say you could say the same thing about a lot of horror movies. A lot of horror movies sure. deal on uh the horror of birth. Like I think part of the reason is because they came out in the same year. I think if they had come out five years apart, nobody would have said anything. Um but because they came out in the same year, everybody was like, Well, Bird Box is just a quiet place, but you can't see. Or people are like, Well, a quiet place is just bird box, but you can't talk, right? So I, th- I think that is a big part of where the comparison comes from because they draw on a lot of things that other horror movies also draw. Yeah, I mean, it, let's let's be real. Neither movie is like changing the game. Um, they're both heavily indebted to creature features and science fiction that is exactly. have existed for years and years and years. Um, they're, they're, I do give us, but they do kind of come at them at, at different angles. And I do give a slight edge to A Quiet Place because, uh, like you said, the fact that, I I mean, it's almost a silent movie. There's very little Mm -hmm. dialogue, um, and the dialogue that is there isn't, there's very little actual spoken word dialogue. And so, to me, that is a little bit of an edge because it is like uh, an interesting creative spin on it. It's also about 40 minutes shorter. Yeah. Uh, whereas Bird Box is like is more like, what if it's zombies, but you can't see? Yeah, you know, you say <laughs> zombies, and and um, I mean, I feel in Bird Box there's a lot of conceptually uh, there's a lot of uh, Lovecraftian kind of ideas going on there. Yeah, we don't actually, yeah. and I'll, I, to the movie's credit, um, we don't actually see the monster. At any point. Okay, here, here's here's a fun fact of trivia. Mm-hmm. Um, that originally there it, there was a scene where you get to see what Sandra Bullock specifically is afraid of. Because that that is a, another sort of creative conceit with Bird Box is it sort of embodies... Takes on many forms. What, yeah, and so I think that does play to the movie's strengths of we never get to see it, but apparently there was a scene where you got to see the monster um, coming after Sandra Bullock, but they cut it because it just, like, it couldn't live up to it. It Exactly. uh, They couldn't, you know, there was all this buildup and just, like, everything that you... When they were doing the scene, Sandra Bullock kind of kept laughing because it just was sort of silly. And I and I think that's a smart choice for this movie. Like I think it's kind of cool that we only uh, and I'm doing air quotes see the monster through like these drawings, these like creepy drawings that um, some of the cult members have um, and stuff like that. So I think that is a, a pretty cool uh, sort of way around the the not showing the monster problem. And and right. And I think ultimately. And not only would it whatever they'd come up with in CGI or whatever wouldn't have lived up, but also it hides the budget a little bit and it does it in a way that seems credible because they're not allowed to see it. So we're not allowed to see it. Um, Whereas a quiet quiet place shows you the monster right away. 
You know, yeah. I, you don't see it again for a while, but it it is it it made that decision, and I'm sure it was a hard decision to make. Do we want to see a whole lot of this thing or not? Um, and you know, it's a I it's a good looking monster. It it basically looks like yeah, a it's, praying mantis it's skeleton thingy. Um, it's very it's very uh, sort of Resident Evil derivative, but not sure. not yeah. bad. Like you know, Resident Evil was known for its its like I'm thinking it specifically looks like the liquors. Yeah, it kind of looks like that meets like the thing from Cloverfield a little bit. Like it's just like a generic movie monster. It's not particularly memorable, but. It doesn't. Ne- it doesn't really need to be because the movie has. It's not really about. No, uh, no. About really being like scared of the monsters. It is so much. I mean, the the thing that I think, you know, there's lots of reasons why I think that ultimately, if we're pitting one against the other, I think A Quiet Place is the the better made film. Um, the story stuff I like about Bird Box better, but there's. I think what I like about uh, A Quiet Place is that. The, the little things that the movie has to do. So, you know, it does reveal the monster right away, which I don't think really moves the needle one way or the other for the movie. It's it's fine. Um, but what I do like about it, what I noticed more watching him with headphones than the first mm-hmm. time in the theater, is the sound design. Oh, fuck. The sound design is insane for A Quiet Place. It's so good. They, it's one of the few movies... Where I notice the sound design, but it's intentional, right? And and the movie preps you to notice it, so you you're you're put on hypersensitivity at every noise they're making because you have to wonder throughout the whole film: is that too much noise? Is that not enough noise? How much noise Ugh. can are these characters allowed to make before it attracts these things? And there is, to be fair, some inconsistency there, but a little bit, but uh, but, but for the most but part, but also like. And, but that also made for a thrilling theatrical experience yeah. because I, re- I I watched it in theaters and the audience was on pins and needles. Like yeah, people nobody were afraid talked, to laugh, popcorn, or even breathe. Yeah, yeah, the people wouldn't even like they were hesitant to like shift in their seats mm-hmm. uh, because the the theater we saw it at had like kind of older seats, so they'd creak a little bit. But it's like. Which is really like, counterintuitive oh. to the modern movie-going experience, which usually just wants to blow things up at you every five seconds. This, and it doesn't even matter if you talk through it because nobody can hear you anyway. Whereas this, yeah. you, it, it, it basically without it's more effective than any turn off your phone message in any theater. <laughs> totally right. So uh, there's a uh, scene in the film. There's a couple scenes in the film where a character will drop something on accident, or a character will move suddenly, and the sound design. Is usually it's very dynamic, so it's usually very very quiet, or or there's some like low uh, score or something happening in the background, and then for those moments it'll spike huge on the sound. Um, you know when just simple things like somebody knocking over a glass or or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and it, it it made me jump in my seat a few times because the movie's just so expertly sucks you in. I think the direction by Krasinski, and you know the movie sort of. By, by creating a handicap, not letting anybody talk, has to, it almost heightens the senses of everything else. Um, exactly. Throughout the viewing it, it, experience. In a way that, that Bird Box isn't able to to replicate the same right. experience because you're, you're always watching. Right. Um, and I don't mean to get like super film geeky no, no, no. about it, but I think that this is like the perfect example of what is cinema. And what does cinema yeah, yeah. do? 
Um, as opposed and to like another- a TV show or a video game or something like that. Um, you can have yeah. those moments in those, in those kind of mediums, but cinema specifically is designed to create this type of sensory experience through visual storytelling, which is uh, yeah, something I-, I don't think Bird Box does quite as well because it relies a lot more on the characters sort of explaining it to you or the timeline yeah. being broken up in a certain way or or whatever it is. All these other sort An- of story gimmicks. Another um, big contrast story-wise, uh, mm. and you kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to circle back to it, is uh, um, Bird Box, like, like we talked about, sort of focuses more on the, the, the George A. Romero, like zombie like bunch of strangers pitted together to survive uh you know who can you trust all that uh kind of stuff all of those kind of themes come out mm-hmm. um you know like uh would you risk your life for this person you didn't know those kind of things whereas yeah. a quiet place is focused on a family unit so intentionally not strangers it is it is people who have lived their entire lives together it is it is a tight knit group and a lot of the drama and a lot of the tension doesn't come from the monsters. It comes from this idea of family forgiveness uh, of, you know, the, this, the daughter is feels responsible for the youngest son's death. And a, a huge crux of the emotional storytelling is between the father and family. Daughter. Yeah. Will this family be okay? Despite the monsters, you know, even if the monsters weren't here, will they make it? Like, can they survive this? Um, and so I think uh, uh, emotionally, I got a little more sucked into a quiet place because of that, because of that familiarity. Um, because, you know, the, that aspect of Bird Box, I, I like those kinds of stories. And um, but they they do feel a little more a little more tropey, a little more uh, movie-esque. Whereas when it is this family unit, I'm sucked more into the emotional storytelling. Um, And I think that's might be a part of why the creatures can be a little more generic. Um, Yeah. You know, they're just sort of uh, alien super bats. Um, (laughs) And well, and uh, you know, going tit for tat on that, I think bird box, there's a moment in the film, and maybe if if it is true that A Quiet Place was kind of cribbing from the novel, maybe this is the moment it kind of centered in on, where a family unit does develop between Sand- yeah. Sandra Bullock and, uh, sorry, who's the uh, the gentleman in the film uh, opposite? Trevante Rhodes. Trevante Rhodes, uh, who was in Moonlight, and uh, they have these, these, these two young kids that they're trying to raise- Which- and By the way, I I want to go on the record real quick and say I am pro Trevante Rhodes being in more stuff. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he was because he was in. I haven't seen Moonlight, um, but I think he was one of the best parts in Bird Box. He was certainly one of the best parts in The Predator. Um, so yeah, let's get Trevante Rhodes and some more stuff. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, if you ever do catch. Uh uh moonlight i mean he's just a fantastic expressive actor um but anyway yeah so in there's a there's a moment towards the middle third of the movie where a family unit does develop between them and that specific 
uh, moment does feel a little bit more emotional. And it also, mm-hmm. it centers in, it kind of cuts the fat of all of the sort of uh, survival movie tropes that are going up to that point, which are fun in and of themselves. But it yeah. starts to, it, it to me, that's when the movie sort of gels into uh, more of its own thing. And also, just generally speaking, the timelines are starting to to fork or dovetail together. So we're also getting a little bit more yeah. narrative traction as well. Everything's st- yeah, everything's starting to make a little more sense. You you're not yeah. constantly being thrown back to this river uh, and like how did they get there? It's starting to be like oh okay, we're yeah. we're gonna get to the river. There's less soon. explaining of the rules and that kind of stuff. So I uh, you know, and one of the things. I guess, you know, A Quiet Place is sort of dealing with father-daughter relationships, and uh, and uh, Bird Box is dealing more with uh, mother relationships, um, because one of the things is that Sandra Bullock's character uh, is so afraid that yeah. her children will not survive this thing, that she's afraid to even what? really develop motherly feelings for them, even to the point of not naming them, which I thought was a really yeah. chilling detail Totally. Yeah. And, and a really, uh, yeah. And I think it's also, uh, refreshing to see a a female character who's so hesitant to be a mother. Mm -hmm. Um, because the way, I mean, you know, motherhood, it can be a tricky thing to portray in movies. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, even, even before all of the apocalypse stuff starts, she's sort of reticent as to whether she even wants to have this kid. Um, you know, we don't really know much about the father uh, or, or anything, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and so, it, you know, it's it sort of feels like her relationship with her pregnancy is she just sort of going through the motions because she feels obligated to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't really get much more explanation than that, which is which is fine. Um which I think is actually is, is actually a good thing, uh, yeah. Because this, a lot of this movie is dealing with that fear of the unknown, and in this case, you know, the the fear of the unknown can be translated to her fear of motherhood. Yeah, I think that's generally the subtext that's going on here, um, pretty explicitly. Uh, and there, yeah, you know, yeah. we we get this one great moment. I think probably the biggest emotional climax of the film, where she is on this river and they're all blindfolded. They're paddling blindfold blindfolded through this river. They know rapids are going to be coming up. And she tells both of her children that one of them is going to have to go unblindfolded. And it's pretty, it's not said, but it's implied that that child is basically going to be giving their own life for this project uh, Mm. so that they can find society. If there is society at the end of this river and, uh, you know, I'm, without getting too too much into it, one of these kids is not technically hers, even though she's raised it from birth. Um, so there is, you know, the, the you see it in the the child's eyes, and I, I'm not exactly sure how they directed that child to give that performance. Um, but she knows she's less valuable to this family unit. Um, totally. And that was again just really really chilling. So there are moments in. A bird box that I think uh, match the emotionality of what a quiet place generally does better. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I I think that I think the big difference is as far as that goes. Um, 
it's just that A Quiet Place is so, so much more ruthlessly efficient with it. It's right. a shorter runtime. Uh, Takes uh, place in a, this, a smaller period of time. Yeah. Uh, all of the central themes are sort of centered around this one thing, whereas uh, Bird Box, you know, it meanders a little bit more. It, it delves into the world building a little bit more, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing. No, um, it definitely feels it, like it, an adapted novel. Yeah, and it, it, yes, and it feels like some stuff might might have been left out, um, and there are times it feels a little overlong. Sure. Well, it, I mean, I I would say that it is for the type of movie that it is. It's certainly overlong, um, but uh, you know, and there's a, I I would say that there is a level of kind of camp here. Some intentional, some not. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think John Malkovich is turning in a. a I mean, John Malkovich is an interesting actor. Sure. Um, be- because he, I think he has sort of an interesting relationship with camp. Um, right. And I'm I'm not sure if he's, sometimes I'm not sure if he's capable of turning it off. Um, but, I mean, he knows exactly, he is like in a creature feature. Right. Drive in. Uh, uh Like. Yeah. Yeah, he he's giving I think one of his best worst performances. Oh, I, I mean, I, um, I think it's a typical John Malkovich performance. I think what you do with John Malkovich is you you just wind him up and put him in a movie, and you're going to get a John Malkovich performance. You just better oh, know that that's uh, what your movie needs. Yeah, and and in this case, I think it is because yeah, uh, uh, I, I mean, he. I think this he's, movie... he's really comfortable with playing unlikable characters, which is what he needs to do here. Um, yeah, and uh, I think he fits in the the overall uh, ensemble really well. Yeah, he plays sort of an irascible douchebag with sort of a heart of gold underneath somewhere. Eh. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it takes a while to find it. Yeah. Um, but and I agree with you that I think. I enjoyed Bird Box more with those elements added. Like, I think it wouldn't have been as as fun of a movie if it didn't have these campy elements, if it didn't right. have these... The kind of in- uh, bad-ish dialogue and the... Uh... All the stuff until the sort of the inciting incident happens is... Uh, and I love Sarah Paulson. Yeah. Um, but damn, it is like... It feels like it's from one of those other Sandra Bullock movies, if you know what I mean. Yeah, which might have been intentional. I don't think anyone started Bird Box not knowing what it was, but um, thinking they were going to get Practical Magic 2 or something. But um, (laughs) no, yeah, I I know what you mean. I think because I think part of the thrill of Bird Box versus A Quiet Place, if we're comparing them again, is A Quiet Place, these characters have been dealing with this situation for at least a year and mm-hmm. they already know what all the rules are. They already have everything set and they are as prepared as they can be. Whereas in yes. in uh, Bird Box, we're watching this from the moment shit hits the fan on. So we're watching them. We're learning with them as th- as, you know, this mystery sort of unsolves itself. And, yeah. uh, you know, we get to see them make all their mistakes and everything. So um, I think... Well, I think the fact a that the quiet- characters feel more normal or from another type of movie or, or you know, we see a lot of familiar faces here in this cast. Um, I think that that all kind of pulls it together in a similar way. 
I I agree. I think uh, a quiet place is like, can these characters thrive? Whereas Bird Box is like, can they just survive? Yeah, are they even going to uh, get through this? Or you know, I, I yeah. mean, to a, to a certain extent, they're both horror films, um, but they're deriving their horror in slightly different ways because of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's more elements of the unknown in Bird Box because. Uh, there is a lot more rules and it, and it, it is a little fuzzy is like, why are some people killing themselves and some people not? Uh, what, what I thought they were implying is that people with some sort of mental disorder or, or, uh, mental handicap, um, turn from the creatures or from the monsters, whatever they are, um, in a different way, instead of going suicidal, they become sort of submissive to it. Yeah, I mean they they weren't ever really really clear on on why certain people didn't because they they yeah. definitely are outliers. The the majority of the population is going to see this thing and it's it's going to make them kill themselves whereas there are these outliers and we we never get a clear reason who they are. We just know that sometimes if people see them it sort of infects them and makes them go crazy instead of uh, and instead of killing themselves they they feel that they have to share it with every other person and and in some cases it seems a little more sadistic than others um i really enjoy tom hollander in this movie mm-hmm. um and and he he feels his character feels almost like like regretful that some that some people hurt themselves because of this thing, but because of the beauty of it, in his eyes, it's worth sharing. Like he ha- he feels compelled to share it with people, um, to the point of psychosis, um, which I thought was pretty cool and made him a little more two dim- or a little more three dimensional than some of the other guys mm-hmm. at, at the end who who were just sort of monster thugs um yeah yeah uh do you want to talk a little bit about how each film deals with their aha moment or their uh their denouement sure because to yeah. an extent both of them have a little bit of a twilight zone-ish sort of oh it's the it's this kind of thing and I, I don't know why I'm being ambiguous since we said we're going to go into spoilers. So <laughs> in in A Quiet Place, you find out that uh, because the creatures are sensitive to noise generally, that's how they hunt, um, that uh, supersonic um, uh, radio signals or whatever, we, we get a, a, a one of the daughters is deaf. She has a broken hearing aid that when she turns it up too high, it creates a supersonic squeal that really, really hurts this creature. It makes it run away. Like it. It's like a feedback loop. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah. In, uh, and in, in Bird Box, we find out that the society or the, the compound that supposedly is going to save everybody, um, or save our main characters anyway, is actually a home for the blind where they've been able to create sort of a functioning society. Um, yeah, I think that um, one definitely it, feels more Twilight Zone than, than, uh, than a quiet place but uh what do you think yeah it also feels a little i feel like in bird box the ending probably is a bit more satisfying in the book 
Um, yeah. Like, I, I, I feel like in a bird box, the ending sort of feels like they're going for a twist. Um, uh, uh, yeah, there's you know, a little Shyamalan kind of vibe to it. Not not so bad yeah. because I don't think the whole film hinges on it. You don't learn anything no, about the no. characters in a new way. But no, it's just oh, okay, they're going to a, a blind school. I think logistically, like if if we're talking about practicality, uh, uh, it has some sort of story issues, like. You know, how would a place like that really be that secure for people who can still see? I'm not sure. Yeah, it um, just kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just... Exactly. And it just sort of is like, movie over. Yeah. I think you're just <laughs> uh, supposed... I think you're just supposed to basically accept that they've reached, you know... They've reached... Exactly. They're, they're, they've the reached the their utopia. Yeah. And, and she... More importantly, she has sort of overcome her character arc yeah. and can now achieve uh, uh, peace, can mm. achieve, you know, the sort of inner, inner more tranquility. So to me, the ending feels a little tacked on to Bird Box. Like, it feels a little more like, well, we got to wrap this up somehow. Uh, School of the Blind, sure. <laughs> uh, whereas in A Quiet Place... It's definitely building to it a little bit more because this 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 element of John Krasinski is like trying to build all of these uh, uh, hearing aids or fix these hearing aids for his daughter or make them more powerful so that she, as a practical reason of like, so that she can survive, so that she could hear a monster if it was sneaking up on her or something like that. Like, it's important for her to be able to know how much noise she's making. It, it feels a little more practical um and the way it's sort of uncovered is it's it's not really a twist ending like we figure out what's going on before the characters do there are a few times where she encounters the monsters a little earlier uh and with this hearing aid that that squelches and 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 saves her from a couple situations and she doesn't realize that that's what's going on so to me it doesn't really feel as much like a build-up to sort of a, a reveal, yeah. but a little bit more of a logical plot point. Yeah, although, you know, and I've, I've spent a lot of time praising what the movie can do visually without having to, to spell it out, but it has one of the kind of the hammiest um, uses of that um, that is uh, almost as bad as any of the exposition in, in Bird Box, where... Uh, she looks at the whiteboard and it says, you know, they have a newspaper yeah. clipping that says sensitive monsters are sensitive to hearing. And then and, and there's a, a whiteboard that says, says, what is their weakness? <laughs> yeah. And it pans from one to the other. And she has this, oh, and then, you know, yeah, puts the uh, puts the uh, the earpiece next to a giant speaker that they have. Um, so that, yeah, that, that was kind of funny. does. In it case you didn't the, realize, audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does hold the audience's hand a little bit more, and and it actually does stand out a little bit because the rest of the movie doesn't do that in the same way. Right, right. Um, that that is one of the more tropey moments of a quiet place. Is like, oh, these monsters have a unifying weakness, um, and you know, to to Bird Box's credit. 
the monsters don't really have a weakness. They're not able to figure out a plan to defeat the monsters. They just have to get to the next place. Yeah, and I think because of that, because of the the lack of definition that go, that goes on about these creatures, which again I think speaks to more of the Lovecraftian nature of them. Um, mm-hmm. They make you go insane. You can't comprehend it. It's not. They're not even really aliens. They're more like ultra terrestrial. Um, yeah, some people think they're demons. Like we don't. Yeah, know we, we just where they don't know. From. And then we. It, I think that ambiguity about everything about these entities uh, and how they travel. Um, kind of makes it scarier for me than just seeing a, yeah. gi- a giant praying mantis running around. Yeah, I mean, the the monsters from A Quiet Place are, they're definitely scary in that they're, they're fast and efficient and in uh, very few characters sort of feel like they have plot armor. Um, and, yeah. And they're pretty... And I think a big part of that is the open, the cold open to a quiet place is so fucking uh, vicious. Uh, you know, you see a young, a young kid die mm-hmm. horribly, um, and that's not something you know that you see in movies a lot. Yeah, and it just sort of sets a tone. Um, and so throughout the rest of the movie is just sort of a, a well, fuck. We know these monsters are serious business, but they're still just sort of monsters you know they are yeah uh they are what makes a quiet place scary isn't necessarily the creature itself but it's it's the way it's the film is directed it's the way that the the set pieces are designed and, and and the sound design and all those other factors the monster is merely functional for the rest totally you know and i guess they have like body armor but at the end of the day a shotgun blast to the head will kill still takes them out. Yeah. Whereas in a bird box, I, I agree. The concept of the bird box monsters is far scarier because we don't know what it is. We don't know where it comes from. All we know that is if you see it, and that is, you know, the, the, one of the fastest forms of transmission because you it's the speed of light, essentially, uh, mm. you you kill yourself. You you die in a horrible way, in a horrible, usually violent way, because you can't even. You're you're not gonna figure out a way to kill yourself. You're going to immediately kill yourself with what's ever available, and it's usually very painful and very yeah. brutal. Uh, there were actually um, some yeah. comparisons to when Bird Box came out. There were also comparisons to the M Night Shyamalan film, um, The Happening. Because that had a yeah. similar conceit where, I mean, it wasn't a monster in that film. It was like evil pollen or whatever. But, <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, it was, uh, but, yeah, it was making this, people the kill thing, themselves like, in weird ways. Yeah. Uh, making people go crazy. Making people do things that they wouldn't normally do. And I think that's part of what makes these creatures scary as well. Is there's sort of a violation, uh, an unspoken violation of like, you know, you don't know, you have no control over it. It's it's going to force you to do something against your will. Whereas in A Quiet Place, it's just going to kill you. It's just going to rip you apart. Uh, you know, there's, there's a pretty cool moment where uh, an old man, uh, his wife has died, and he suicides himself by screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, 
because it's it's efficient. It's like, well, these monsters are going to kill me quick. I'm not going to suffer, really. I'm just going to get torn apart pretty quickly. You know, whereas Bird Box, again, it's it's violating you. It's, it's, it's you know, Sarah Paulson, she didn't want to crash that car. She wanted <laughs> to ride her horse. Like, it makes you turn against your own instinct. And I think that conceptually that is far scarier. Yeah, just the element of the unknown is really strong in Bird Box. And again, I think some of that is to fit around a budget. And I think some of that is to is sort of built into the story mechanics. But uh, and I think that is actually and, and to the movie's credit, I think it seems harder to survive in the world of Bird Box than it would to survive in a quiet place. Neither would be yeah. a walk in the park. But uh but yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, I mean, being, have to I've, to make it to the grocery I've, store without with a blindfold on is, you know. Yeah, and I and I really enjoyed that scene where uh where they have to like newspaper up the car mm-hmm. um and they're basically just driving off off oh, of GPS. motion sensors alone yeah. and like but they can still tell when they're uh driving over corpses is pretty fucking haunting. Yeah. Um yeah, I I agree. I think Honestly, I think either of these universes, uh, like, zombies are the way to go. <laughs> um, you, you know, like, you just have to not get bitten. You can end up in sort of a zombie land esque horror comedy if you play your cards right, whereas both Bird Brox and A Quiet Place, the monsters are pretty brutal and unforgiving. Yeah, that's true. Now, we do know that there was supposed to be a sequel to A Quiet Place that came out this year. Um, it was such a surprise success that it somehow managed a sequel. And uh, we see a little bit from the trailer of, I guess, day one that we don't mm-hmm. see in in the first A Quiet Place, which does look pretty similar to the day one experiences from Bird Box. Yeah, I mean, this is all sort of based on conjecture and and just based off of what we know from the trailer. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm still excited to see what John Krasinski is going to do with the sequel. But I also kind of don't know that I need a sequel. Like, I feel like I feel like A Quiet Place's biggest strength, and I've said this over and over again, is it's it's ruthless efficiency in storytelling. Like. There's a reason the first one we didn't need to see day one. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why it's a year into the experience. Like, and so to me, I'm like, okay, what are we really going to gain from seeing the initial attack except cool set pieces and cool action scenes and stuff? So I'm not super excited for A, a Quiet Place 2. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm curious. I'm more curious than anything else. It also, from the trailer, we can tell that they encounter strangers. So it does feel a little more similar in that way. It's, you know, the family unit is, is branching out and are these humans bigger monsters than the the actual monsters? I'm guessing they probably are. Yeah, usually. Um, I think, uh, if I were... If I were given the assignment to direct A Quiet Place 2 or write a screenplay for A Quiet Place 2, I would go the uh, James Cameron aliens to alien approach and just totally take it into a different genre. 
it, we already got yeah. the, the quiet sleeping thriller with a quiet place. And I just don't know if you could do that really better than that. Um, so I would just have fun, throw in some space Marines, shoot the place up, just go nuts. Yeah. I, I mean, we know they have a weakness now, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you have, exactly. I, you have, uh, Emily Blunt sort of being the, the Ridley and, and, or, uh, Sarah Connor, strong chick with a shotgun. Like, that's what we want. Totally. Yeah. I yeah, I agree. I think if they kind of if they aren't trying to replicate what was successful in the first one entirely, I think yeah, just just take it a, a di- totally different direction. Like let's step out of the original genre and see what other horror sci-fi genres we can throw in there. Cuz if it's if it's just sort of another zombie-esque thriller, I I don't know that I'll be super thrilled. Right. So uh, another thing that I did on our Twitter, I'm trying to engage Twitter a lot more, um, specifically our Twitter, the uh, MacGuffin podcast Twitter. Um, So I did put up a survey or a, uh, not a survey, but a, um, a, uh, A a poll for what people enjoyed more, a quiet place or bird box with 93% saying a quiet place. Now, I don't know if that's just because the people who voted haven't seen Bird Box or if that's generally how people feel. I mean, if I had to pick one, I would definitely go with A Quiet Place. I just think it's I think it's just a a, a leaner, meaner, better made movie. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that Bird Box is is not fun. It's no, not, it's I think not good. I think Bird Box is quality cheese. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I, th- but I, it is- I think if you well, I'll say this: if you if you enjoyed the mist, which I know is not everyone's cup of tea, I I happen to think it's great. But if you enjoyed movies like The Mist or Night of the Living Dead or um, even something like Aliens or whatever, I think there is something. If you like survival horror in that sort of B movie territory, there is enough to like. From Bird Box. And it is genuinely scary in its own way sometimes. And has a really fun cast. Um, Yes, yeah. And that is, I think, one of its biggest strengths is is it does have that uh, sort of cast, tropey characters that are thrown together. Yeah. um, And that's that's always fun for me to watch. Mm -hmm. I I love that. Like, like fucking Machine Gun Kelly is really good in this. Well, he has a moment, Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, but that's what I mean. Like, I do think they play that trope really well and give those characters their, their moments that you know they're going to have, but they're perfect. You know, like, uh, like Rel, uh, he, we know he's going to sacrifice himself for the group. We know it going into the movie, you know, he's going to die as some sort of reluctant hero figure. And it's exactly what he does. And it's, it's done so well like like that's what that character needs to be so you know i i think if you're a fan of the genre it's definitely worth watching it's worth your time yep i would agree and i and you know if for whatever reason you've seen bird box but haven't seen a quiet place you might enjoy a quiet place more if you sort of like elevated genre films and i wouldn't say it's like so elevated that it's that it's you know we're talking about is this is this or is this not an art film? Because it's definitely not. Um, it's definitely populist totally, filmmaking. Yeah. It just 
happens to be really, really well done and is very concerned about what's happening in all four edges of the frame. <laughs> also, I think a big part of A Quiet Place was the surprise of it being as good as it was. Yeah. Like, I mean, this was whereas- released on Platinum Dunes, which was Michael Bay's production company that put out all those bad horror movie remakes. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. I, I actually didn't know that. Uh, yeah, and it feels more like it almost feels more like in the uh, realm of Bloomhouse, where it's you know it's horror yeah. genre, but they're taking the genre seriously and and just trying to do it as good as possible. Yep. Whereas Bird Box is a lot more like what you'd expect. It's a lot more like yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it feels exactly, I mean, it feels like one was made to go to theaters and it feels like one was made to go to Netflix. And I think it's it's appeasing both of those platforms as well as you can, basically. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And look at it this way. Both of them are much worse than the current situation we find ourselves in with the coronavirus. Well, so, uh, so I- far, let's... Yeah. <laughs> Until it mutates into a creature that you can't hear or see. I mean, I guess it is kind of that. It I is, guess viruses. It is exactly you can't that. Hear or see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let, let's go ahead and announce now what we're doing on the next episode. Like I said, uh, a few episodes ago, we're going to be kind of be do, doing more episodes like this. So stuff that's a little outside of the box, different types of concepts. And the one that I came up with is, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about two different films. One is a bad film by a traditionally good director, and the other one is a good film uh, by a traditionally bad director. And we'll, when we get into the actual episode, we'll talk about what good and bad means in these contexts. Uh, but uh, Keith, what what was your assignment and what was the movie you picked? You asked me to pick a a bad movie, what is considered generally a bad movie by good directors. Um, I chose The Lady Killers, um, as it is just about the only movie by the Coen brothers that doesn't have a slavish cult following. Right. um, And was generally pretty poorly received when it came out. And it's available uh, streaming right now on HBO. All right, and for my pick, I chose the film Event Horizon, which is the definition of a cult film, um, which was uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, which is a lot of people might know from the director of the Resident Evil films and Pompeii and a lot of other schlock. Um, Yeah, pretty much known as a schlockmeister. Yeah. Uh, so we'll get into those next week and we'll, it won't be like this exactly where we're doing a direct comparison. Um, but, uh, it ought to be fun to sort of talk about, you know, how we quantify these things like good and bad. So let's, uh, let's give the people the information they want, which are things like if there's anything you want to say about the episode that we talked about today or other episodes we've talked about in the past, or you have ideas for episodes or topics that we should cover in the near future, um, you can do so at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. You can follow us on Twitter at mcguffinpod and on uh, Instagram at mcguffinpod. You can follow me individually on Twitter at VC Cassidy. I'm also at VC Cassidy on Instagram. 
And uh, you can read my reviews that I do every so often for the Idaho State Journal at uh, by Googling Idaho State Journal Movies. Uh, I should be able to take you directly to the entertainment page or the movie page and read what we have there. Um, if you are looking at the MacGuffin's website, MacGuff.in, be sure to check out the other articles and reviews written by the MacGuffin staff. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. That's pretty much all I've got to plug for now. Okay. And uh, yes, we're also available to stream on uh, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Player.fm, and Pocket Cast. Uh, whichever one of those platforms you use, uh, preferably iTunes, please go ahead and leave us a one sentence review and a star rating. Helps people be able to discover the show. Uh, and I just wanted to throw here as a, as a end note, um, the, uh, the famous record store, uh, Amoeba Records is going through a troubled time right now, uh, financially. And, uh, they're in the middle of a transition as it is, cause they were going to have to change buildings. They take, it, it takes place in, uh, uh, Los Angeles, middle of Hollywood. Um, and, uh, they just put a GoFundMe up. To, uh, to be able to weather this storm. And uh, even if you don't live in Los Angeles or Southern California, but you plan on someday going there, this is definitely a location you would want to visit. Uh, one of the largest and best uh, media stores in America. So please go ahead and go to check out their GoFundMe and uh, drop them whatever you can. Or if you'd rather have something for your money other than just um, goodwill, you could go to their website and order records or DVDs or whatever and have them shipped to you that way. And it still helps them uh, get through all of this. So please do so. Yeah, totally. Um, everybody's struggling. So help out where you can, when you can, with what you care about. Um, and I've been to... Amoeba Records quite a few times. It's it's a fucking cool place. So all right, uh, that'll be the episode. I don't have a catchy sign off this week, so I'm just gonna go back to our old one and give it to Gosling. Bye.